It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First down. Welcome everyone to the podcast. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Heath's on the road tonight, but still managed to find a way to join us. Pat's on holidays and doesn't have Wi-Fi where he is. He'll be calling in though later in the show because he wants you to know his picks for the upcoming week and we'll get them to you if he can call in on time in this program. Now, Heath, we have football games to talk about. <gasps> we do. The season has happened. Game Week one has happened, I should say. We've spent an awful lot of time talking about what ifs and what may or may not happen. We've actually got games to, to review and moving forward for the next 14 weeks or more with the playoffs, more games to talk about. It was awesome to see a live kickoff and game action on TV. TSN did a great job covering all four games. You were in attendance at Mosaic Stadium for the Riders' home opener. Lots to talk about. First and foremost, television ratings up 31% across the board. Beautiful to see. Tells you that people were waiting for this to happen. Now let's get to the games and let's start off with the Grey Cup rematch. 2019, Winnipeg-Hamilton playing in Calgary to decide that Grey Cup. Here we go. Hamilton's in Winnipeg this night. And Hamilton on the first drive looks like everything is going to be great. And that's where the uh, Ticats literally got put back in their cage. Never have I been so happy to get a prediction wrong in a, in a pick'em situation. Um, I did go against my heart and picked Hamilton to win this game, but I am more than happy to have got that one wrong and see the Bombers win on their home opener, raising the banner, 11-time Grey Cup champions. And they really put together a pretty solid game in all areas. Um, as you mentioned, Hamilton marched down the field on that first drive, scored the touchdown, everything looked like it was go time for the Tiger Cats, and that was all that they managed to put together for offense, realistically, over the rest of that game. The one thing that really stood out to me was that if they couldn't find Brandon Banks, there was no deep threat. Needle stuck on Banks to get us the big yards down the field. Hamilton didn't seem to have that second outside threat to take the pressure off of him. And I think that's a big problem for them. Injuries I right agree. now are playing um, into it, but uh, they need somebody in the interim to step up. I agree. And Brandon Banks looked frustrated through parts of that game as well. He did get some catches later on in the fourth quarter and kind of put together a, a drive here and there, but he was well covered. Um, he did have some some issues on some catches as well. And, and it was not... A standard game that you would expect out of somebody of Brandon Banks caliber and uh, hopefully for the Tiger Cats it's a one-off and they get that offense rolling moving forward but Mazzoli had a tough night throwing the ball as well and hats off to Winnipeg's defense they have picked up right where they left off at the end of the 2019 season in not giving up a lot of points. Winnipeg's defense looked stout and the pressure coming from the front four was relentless once they got their wheels churning. They never seemed to uh, lose any steps on, with the Ticats' offensive line. And Brad Van Zyl not being in that lineup, I think, really hurt the Ticats. Their running game was 
borderline ineffective compared to a rookie starting for the Blue Bombers, Brady Oliveira, who goes off 22 carries and 126 yards. That it was a real eye-opener. I don't know what, if you're Andrew Harris, you're thinking right now, but for the Winnipeg offense, wow. Yeah, another hometown running back from Winnipeg. Uh, grew up idolizing Andrew Harris. Got to join the Bombers basically the understudy to Harris. Harris has an injury, can't go, and Brady Oliveira stepped up. We knew that Winnipeg is a team that likes to establish the running game probably more so than any of the other teams in the CFL over the last several years. When you've got a back the caliber of Andrew Harris, you know that a running game can be a solid part of your offense. And to see Oliveira step in and really that running game didn't miss a beat. It was incredible to see. And I think once Harris is healthy, you're going to see a one-two punch of those running backs and they're not going to be afraid to give Harris maybe a little bit of rest time and get Oliveira in for some snaps. Very impressive. I would have loved to have seen him get into the end zone. He didn't get there, but over 100 yards rushing in his CFL debut looks like a star in the making. Going into that game, Darvin Adams' receiver was not going to play and, of course, Andrew Harris' running back was not going to play. Harris alone accounts for about a third to a to a half of that offense on most nights. So you had to find other people to step up. And that was the thing that I think surprised me the most was that Oliveira did very well, but also they spread the ball around with their receivers. And it was just, uh, Calaris didn't look like he had to overdo anything. A couple of times he had to move around and, and get away from pressure, but he you know, 18 completions, 217 yards, not too bad. You compare the other side, Mazzoli put the ball up 41 times and only gets 242 yards on 24 completions. It was just, it looked to me, maybe I was misreading it, but Jeremiah Mazzoli seemed to be just a little bit behind as the game went on. I don't know if he was looking at that defensive line too much or if, if it just his reaction times just weren't there. Well, one thing I noticed too, Zach Kolaris certainly brings scrambling ability to the Bombers, which is something that they had been missing over the last few seasons. Matt Nichols not known as a running or scrambling quarterback per se. Chris Strevler was kind of a bull straightforward kind of guy. And the escapism of Kolaris brings a new threat to that Bomber offense. He can get outside the pocket, scramble, and still find a receiver on that second, third, fourth option. And we saw... You know, Kenny Lawler had a career game, a couple of touchdowns. He had a huge night, and they spread the ball around, like you said, to different receivers. Um, They only put 19 points on the board, so not a huge offensive output. But seeing the comfort and the stability of Caleros back there, I think when healthy, the Bombers' offense is going to get rolling and put up some points. Now, Mazzoli, he had a tougher night, like you said, 41 passes and just over 200 yards in passing. And when you're facing a defensive line like the Bombers can put in your face, it's tough to get completions and mistakes are going to happen. So we move to the next game, British Columbia in Saskatchewan. Of course, the big stink coming out of that game initially was that Riley was thought to be the starter, turned out wasn't the starter. They go with Nathan Rourke instead. Riley comes in in the second half for most of the half. I know this talk of transparency and Dave Naylor even put a tweet out about it, but I'm, I'm a little bit like, what? Riley 
tested the arm in pregame. He didn't know that it would be good. How do you blame British Columbia or the CFL about transparency over this stuff? Because this is happening in pregame. This isn't... This is a tough one to call. We did know that he had an elbow injury earlier in the week. And in the CFL, we know it's a passing league. So there's a bit of miscommunication or or the left hand not really knowing what the right hand was doing in some of the interviews that Coach Campbell gave at halftime. We know the toughness of Mike Riley, Michael Riley, the number of times that he got sacked in 2019 and kept coming back for more. He's the type of guy that's going to go if he's able to go. So for him to make a game time decision that his arm wasn't where it needed to be to start the game must have been very difficult for him to make that call. Um, Coach Campbell does say that it was Michael Riley's call of whether he was good enough to play or not. And they did continue to work on his arm over halftime. He came out and said he was ready to go. You watched it live in person. I watched it on TV. There was not a lot of sharpness to those passes coming out of Michael Riley's hand. And I hope for the long-term future of the of the BC Lions this season that he is going to recover because it looked pretty rough watching him throw. Uh, there was a lot of lame ducks wobbling around out there going towards receivers. The receivers did an amazing job coming back to the ball to make a play on them, but that's not the Michael Riley that this league is used to seeing. Nathan Rourke, I thought, did very well for a guy who had never played a pro snap prior to that moment. He goes 10 of 18, 190 plus yards. Yes, he had two picks, and one was the pick six by Nick Marshall, but that was a tremendous read by Marshall. Greater catch. That was a huge moment in the game. We thought the Riders are getting to be a 31 to nothing lead at that point. And then what happens? First, Rourke takes Lucky Whitehead, finds him down on the sideline, and he goes for the big score. And suddenly, the Riders seem to just stop. In the second half, Michael Riley gets out there. And yes, you could see from the stands that the ball was fluttering. He was not able to put any zip on it. The spirals just didn't exist. But the receivers were so wide open that even with the extra time that it took for these air balls to get to them, Lamar Durant and Brian Burnham both were making catches all over the field. Yeah, it was a real tale of two halves. I mean, the great thing with Nathan Rourke is he didn't look scared to be out there. He didn't make the best plays to start. He had a, a shaky couple of series. His first professional game, a lot going on. The emotion of Mosaic Stadium having a full house to welcome the riders back can't be an easy environment for anybody to walk into, let alone a rookie quarterback. But he seemed to remain calm under pressure, got things figured out, and, and did make some fantastic plays later on in that first half and, and into the second and the the end of the game, he had a couple of really good series there as well. The Riders came out guns ablazing, and they were make, completing passes all over the field. Uh, Fajardo did a fantastic job spreading the ball around. And then the second half, he just couldn't get any momentum going and, and string together a series. And Saskatchewan sees that lead evaporate. They eventually hold on to win 33-29. to 29. Looking at it from another viewpoint... You almost gave it up. And I think that's scary 
because if you're going to get out to leads and then start giving them up in the second half, that could be a very bad trend. And if not for a rookie starting quarterback and a rookie place kicker for BC, this game, game could have gone the other way. Yamasaki made a couple of huge field goals and he missed a couple of chip shots. So he struggled under the pressure, I think, a little bit as well. And they left points on the, on the field by missing those field goals that could have made the difference in that game. This is one of the talking points of the game too. Fajardo comes out of the end zone, does everything he can to avoid the safety to the point where they have to review whether or not he got a headshot on the play. The review says no. But then on the very next play, John Ryan stands in the end zone, takes a snap and just walks to the back of the end zone. What is Cody Fajardo thinking? I just saved us a safety touch and now you just walked it away? Like, what, is he, what are you telling your team all the time by doing that? It was a very strange call. And John Ryan, 39 years old, but is booming punts out there. So to make that call that he gives up the safety in that situation doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. The Riders do hang on to win. They're certainly happy that they came away with it. Fajardo's numbers, 28 of 35, 230 yards, but he had one bad pick. But between Riley and Rourke, the two of them combined for 27 completions and over 400 yards. That's spooky if you're the Rough Riders defense. Yeah, they've got to uh, sharpen things up here for sure. And it's not like they've got an easy game coming up, coming up with Hamilton going in there. Yes, Hamilton struggled to put points on the board in their first week as well, but they can be a dangerous team. So if the Riders don't get things sorted out on defense, it could be trouble. Saturday was a doubleheader with Eastern clubs playing in Alberta. The first game, the Toronto Argonauts against the Calgary Stampeders. Now, we had billed it as the Nick Arbuckle versus his old team. That didn't work out because he just simply didn't have enough reps from training camp after the hamstring injury. So the law firm, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, gets in there and actually acquits himself quite well. He gets enough going and then in late in the game gets the team down the field to win the game. What could have been a massive turning point in that football game is in the third quarter. That is, aside from the penalty-filled, review-filled, third-down gamble that the Stampeders had had against the Argos, which the Argos had repelled early in that quarter. Quarterback McLeod Bethel-Thompson finds Ricky Collins Jr. open on the sideline. And Deshaun Amos comes from behind and pokes it out at about the three-yard line. The ball trips into the end zone and the Stampeders recover. Two things on that play of note. Number one, the hustle of Amos to never give up on a play. Number two, Ricky Collins Jr. Rule one, when you're running near the sideline, always have the ball on the sideline hand. In other words, in his case, that would be the left hand nearest the sideline. He had it in the right. When the ball was poked out, it bounced off him, went back into the field of play. That's a good lesson for any runner to have. Yeah, he was pretty loose on that play and, and even just securing it close to the body. He kind of had his arm out a little bit and, you know, the Calgary defense made a great play, chased him down and knocked that ball loose. Now, getting back to McLeod Bethel Thompson, he did put up 300 yards passing. He looked really comfortable out there. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the Argonauts do with Arbuckle and Thompson because if he's going to put up numbers like that and and be that real calm presence do they go to a two quarterback system do they just ride him while he's hot right now and then maybe our buckle steps in later on it's a real tough decision i think to make but it's a good problem to have well, i believe that thompson is going to be the starting quarterback 
in game two. I think he's earned it from from his performance in Calgary going 26 to 37, 354 and two touchdowns. How many times do you outperform Bo Levi Mitchell in Calgary? 23 35, 252, a TD and a pick. Well, a couple things that really stood out for me for Calgary, though, even though Mitchell didn't have the night that we were probably expecting, uh, Kadeem Carey, other than a fumble, looked really solid running the ball for Calgary. And Kamar Jordan is back. And that one. He has overcome a devastating knee injury. He had one touchdown and another touchdown disallowed. Uh, really solid night. So he's a guy that I think is going to be key. Um, they did mention on the broadcast that Calgary has the youngest team in the league this year. So having some of that veteran presence is going to help that young team. Um, so I, I think I think Kerry and Jordan are going to be key parts to that Calgary offense and are going to be leading their success if they have a successful season. The Stampeders, maybe not in week one, two, or three, will be where they want to be, but watch out for them come September. The Ottawa Red Blacks go into Edmonton and beat the Elks on the Elks unveiling night, 16-12, to without scoring an offensive touchdown. That was an interesting game to watch. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> Matt Nichols didn't look his best. I believe Ottawa only had seven offensive first downs in the entire game. A shocking stat. But you can't deny that Matt Nichols finds a way to win. Now, you can say that it wasn't him that found the way to win this game. But his record as a starting quarterback is incredible for a guy who's never really been that flashy quarterback. Uh, Interesting stat is that uh, Matt Nichols has never lost a game against Edmonton since leaving the Edmonton franchise either. So I don't know what kind of magic, horseshoes, whatever you want to call it, he has, but the defense and special teams for Ottawa won that game, but Matt Nichols gets another win as a starting quarter. Bo Levi Mitchell had never lost to the Argonauts in the regular season either. Earlier in the day, that ended. Ottawa put up 127 yards of offense. Edmonton, 443. Edmonton had nearly 36 minutes of time of possession. Nichols was 12 of 20 for 71 yards. And yet, Abdul Kenna twice picks off Harris, once to break up a drive and the other time to basically win the game on a deflected ball. And he goes 102 yards the other way. It's one of these things for those listeners out there that are golfers. It doesn't matter how you get the par. The number on the scorecard is a par. I've had some incredible holes where I've been in bunker to bunker to bunker and chip in for par. This kind of feels like that kind of game for Ottawa. At the end of the season, nobody's going to remember how ugly the win was. They're going to be looking at wins and losses. A highlight, I think, for Ottawa as well is Lewis Ward picked up right where he left off last season, made all of his field goals, including two over 50 yards. So special teams looks great. Uh, Defense a kind of a defense of no names. There wasn't a lot of stars on that team that we were looking at going into the season. Played incredible. Um, I, I feel we still don't know exactly what Ottawa has for offensive weapons, but at the end of the day, they got the W. Pleasant surprise in terms of receiving was Ryan Davis, and he was the one who had the punt, the uh, lateral on the punt that was disallowed that he had run back for the touchdown. He seems to be a real nice addition. And when we were talking about Hamilton and not having that secondary deep threat, he's providing that for the Red Blacks. 
they they had flipped D coordinators between Ottawa and Edmonton, and neither one would be embarrassed by what their defense did. But Ottawa's outshone when it mattered most. Absolutely, and I love the lateral that almost worked for a touchdown. I mean, they were about a half a yard ahead of the the line for being a forward pass versus a lateral. Good on them for taking those chances, though. And I think for Ottawa to be successful this season, they are going to have to make some of those trick plays work. They're going to have to take some gambles because I don't know that they've got all of the pieces to compete with a lot of these other teams uh, without some of that kind of luck. But uh, good on them for giving it a go. And Edmonton, I don't even know what to say about the Elks. They put up that much offense, control the ball for that long, and just could not score points. Who among us picked two Ontario wins on Saturday in Alberta? Well, I sure didn't. Um, I can I can honestly say that um, CFL.ca writer Matt Cause and myself are tied, having, having gone 0 for in pick'ems on week one. Second down. Week two in the CFL, and BC will be in Calgary. Here's something of a little bit of a tidbit for you. BC only has one more road game against a Western opponent this year after Calgary, and that's against Winnipeg in the fall. We know that Michael Riley is not practicing again, and he's questionable. Do you put your money on the Stampeders? Because they did show quite well against Toronto. Uh, I think they're going to improve week to week. The Lions, to me, though, showed a lot of guts and grit coming back against Saskatchewan. When you do that on the road, it's really, really tough. And I think Nathan Rourke, if he gets to start again, is going to be a lot calmer in the in the pocket running that offense. I think he's going to know what it's like to be on the road, know what it's like to have the, the crowd yelling at you, and I think he'll be fine. He really looked way more mature than his years, his first start. He did, and when you've got offensive weapons like Burnham and Durant to throw the ball to, I think, and Lucky Whitehead on a post route, good things can happen. So I think Calgary would still have the edge based on experience for sure, but Nathan Rourke's got some weapons, and if he has the time, if the offensive line does their job and he's got some time to throw the ball, he's got some people that can make things happen. I think it's going to be a lot closer game than maybe on paper you would think looking at the starting quarterbacks. Um, I I would still give the nod to Calgary based on what I saw from them in week one as well. I think their offense showed some signs and they're going to be a lot more polished in this game coming up as well. I think for BC to win, regardless of which quarterback starts, they're going to have to get out early and get a major score. I don't think that they can do the same thing twice where they fall so far behind and then try to make it up in the second half. I don't think Calgary's going to allow that to happen. Although at the same time, I don't see Calgary doing the same thing that Saskatchewan did either. I mean, Cody Fajardo played a near-perfect first half and they just kept putting drive after drive together. If Calgary does that, you're right. I think BC is going to really challenge, be challenged to be a comeback team. If they can hold serve, if you will, in that first quarter and and go drive for drive with Calgary, they've got a chance. Second game, which is a 
on a Friday night, the first game being on Thursday, the second game being Friday the 13th, is Toronto in Winnipeg. You've got a very balanced Toronto team versus a very defensive, strong Winnipeg team. Calaris showed enough to win against Hamilton, but he didn't have to do so much. I think against Toronto, the expectation is going to be a little bit higher. How do you see this one playing out? I agree 100%. Um, Toronto has some room to improve for sure, but we know the caliber of players they have on that roster, and they gelled reasonably well. Um, The big thing for me is Winnipeg's defense. I mean, they gave up six points in week one. Going back to the playoffs in 2019, they've given up 14, 13, and 12 points. If they continue to fire, they'll be great. Um, Again, with Darvin Adams out, Andrew Harris isn't going to play again. Toronto now has had a chance to look at Brady Oliveira to see what he brings to the table. So the offensive weapons for Winnipeg, I think, are still a little bit limited. But as I mentioned earlier, that scrambling ability of Caleros brings something else to the table for them. So I'm leaning Winnipeg in this one. Uh, more confident in it than I was in the week one game against Hamilton. McLeod Bethel-Thompson looked very comfortable leading that Toronto offense in week one, so anything can happen, but uh, I'm leaning towards Winnipeg's defense. Saturday, the Alouettes are in Edmonton against the Elks, the early game. Alouettes, this will be their first game of the season. How do you see them? This one is going to be a great matchup because Edmonton did put up yards in that game against Ottawa. So we know their offense is capable of moving the ball. Um, I'm excited to see Vernon Adams. He's my pick for MOP this year. I, I can't wait to see them hit the field. I'm I'm excited to see what Montreal, see if they're as good as I'm hoping that they're going to be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting game, interesting matchup. And having that week one to sit back and watch all these other games unfold I think might be a bit of an advantage for Montreal. I wonder too, Edmonton's linebacking core is quite revamped. And I wonder too, with Vernon Adams Jr. back there at quarterback for Montreal, if he's going to start slicing and dicing, not only with his arm, but with his legs. Because if you let him go, he will run against you. He doesn't prefer to, but he will take it when it's there. And that's another threat that they didn't see with Nichols the previous week. Nichols, his shoulder looked weak. He didn't throw down the field very effectively, and yet he did enough to keep Ottawa in the game. You've got a healthy Vernon Adams who is ready to go and could have been MLP in 2019. He was putting up those kinds of numbers. Montreal, I would put my money on them. Edmonton, they want a culture change in there, and if you want that, it's going to take time for it to manifest. And if Ottawa can go in and take them out, Montreal, I think, is a stronger team. And what happens to Edmonton if they do get off to an 0-2 start? <laughs> do they start to question what they're doing? If BC goes 0-2 to start the season, they've got a pretty valid excuse for what happened with the health of Michael Riley. A lot of variables there. But for Edmonton, there was so much excitement, I think, for the Elks to come out of the gate and be much improved over the previous season. An 0-2 start isn't going to look too good on them. Well, Edmonton would be going to BC in Week 3, which... 0-2 and 0-2 potentially. It, uh, but you've, you've had a major change in Edmonton, and I don't think you're going to 
just gel immediately. Granted, the offense is pretty much the way it was, but the defense has made some moves. And Noel Thorpe is not Mike Benavidez, and they've got a new head coach, Jamie Elizondo, and he has his way of doing things. You saw a lot more control offense where Harris, Trevor Harris was throwing seven, eight yards side to side all the time. He wasn't pressing deep. They did a couple times, penalties pulled him back, but he was picked as well. It just looked to me like Edmonton is still trying to find that identity, and I think Montreal has theirs. Yeah, it's hard to believe that there might be a real critical game in week three with BC and Edmonton playing to try to get off the schneid. I mean, if, if they're both 0-2 going into week three, it's going to be a key matchup. And really, depending on what happens in those other games, your hopes of making the playoffs could be dwindling quick. Final game of the weekend, the late game on Saturday night, is Hamilton in Saskatchewan. Hamilton borderline embarrassed themselves by what happened in Winnipeg. They just didn't provide much on offense, after that first drive, basically 55 minutes of the game, they were ineffective. Maybe Winnipeg is that good. I have a tough time believing that. Two things at play here. If Mazzoli does not play well in the first half against Saskatchewan, Dane Evans starts the third quarter. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, looking at the first drive for most of the teams in week one, they sustained really good drives and put points on the board. Once you get beyond that kind of set sequence of what you're going to do, you know, they, they've had training camp walking through that first drive, what it's going to look like, what they're going to do. Hamilton executed that to a T against Winnipeg, and then the wheels came off. With those weapons that Hamilton has, they need to put up points. I think if they are going into halftime with less than 17 points on the board, you might see Evans jump in. I mean, I guess if Mazzoli puts together two decent sustained touchdown drives maybe he does stay in the game but we saw 2019 Dane Evans is a very capable quarterback he took over for Mazzoli and took that team all the way to the Grey Cup you can't continue to struggle with a player like Brandon Banks in your offense and if Hamilton's struggling to put points on the board Evans steps in and away you go Evans of the two will press the secondary far more than Mazzoli will the other thing that I think is of interest is that a rookie quarterback and a quarterback with disabled throwing arm up put up 400 plus yards of passing against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. If I'm Jason Shivers, the defensive coordinator, I'm probably losing sleep right now. What has gone wrong? Yeah, I, like you said, Michael Riley throwing those wobblers up there and BC receivers coming back to the ball and nobody around them on defense. You can't have that happen. The, the secondary... I would say is more to blame than anybody else on that rider's defense to allow BC to put up the yards that they did. So the way you see this one going down, tough one. <laughs> I think Saskatchewan does take this one, uh, but it's going to be a, a high-scoring affair. And um, if Hamilton gets clicking, then it's, it's going the other way. Third down. Let's move to the fantasy side. We're not asking that you follow what we do on our fantasy. Now, we're using DraftKings and their numbers. To be fair, we urge everybody to definitely use the uh, CFLTSN Fantasy, which is free. DraftKings, it costs money to do this. Okay, let's go quarterback first. Quarterback, I went with the Bombers, Zach Caleros, for 7900 I think he showed some good things in week one, and I think against Toronto, he's, he's my guy. 
Wow. I went with uh, Bo Levi Mitchell. However, I've just got to notice that he did not practice so much today. Now, granted, today is Tuesday. First, you know, his game isn't for a couple of days yet, so we'll see. The expectation is that it shouldn't hold him back, but it is distressing to me. I may change that pick based on his injury status. Running backs, I have gone with Kadeem Carey from Calgary. As I mentioned, he showed some good things in that first game. Uh, he did have a fumble. I think if he cleans that up a little bit, uh, $7,100, so a good value running back and I think a key part to that Calgary offense. I'm going with British Columbia running back James Butler. He got a touchdown against Saskatchewan. I thought he performed well. Question is, again, is he going to play? He's typically not the starter, but I kind of think, I'm hoping that he will be. But if not, again, could be edited prior to game time. First wide receiver that I've got, Quan Bray, Montreal Alouettes. He is definitely a deep threat. Well, I'll keep this short because I also have Quan Bray as my first wide receiver. So we'll keep it simple. Brian Burnham, British Columbia Lions, playing against Calgary. That's my second pick. Another guy that does very well in DraftKings, listed as uh, 19.7 fantasy points per game. I've gone with Kamar Jordan. Uh, as I mentioned, he had a really solid return in week one. Uh, $6,200, so good value on him if he has a night like he did. And hopefully that second touchdown counts, and uh, he's going to put up some points for me. Flex pick, I have Willie Stanback from the Montreal Alouettes. I'm expecting big things from him this season. As we mentioned, Vernon Adams can kill you with his feet, but to have somebody like Stanback there as well, I think they're a double threat running the ball. I'm going with Eugene Lewis from the Alouettes. 13.6 fantasy points per game. And my other flex is Jalen Marshall, who I thought played pretty well against the Blue Bombers. He's one of the guys that did put up some stats. Didn't uh, have the greatest of game, but then who did for Hamilton that night? I'm thinking this could be a bounce back. Defense, is there any doubt? Winnipeg? <laughs> I took Winnipeg as well. Uh, Ricky Collins Jr. was my other flex player, so he's the one person for Toronto that I expect to do great things. Other than that, Winnipeg is going to shut Toronto down, and that defense is scary. There's the phone. Hello? Oh, Pat, yeah. I'm calling in with my picks for this week. Okay, go. Here we go. For quarterback, Damon Allen. Right. Running back, George Reed. Wide receiver, Darren Flutie. Other wide receiver, Milt Spiegel. Flex, Dwayne Ford. The other flex player, Chris Sarkis. Right. And for the defense, the 1959... Okay, I think I got that. This isn't Rainer, is it? Oh, he's gone. Okay, well. All right. Uh, his pick for quarterback is Damon Allen. Running back, George Reed. Wide receiver, he's got Darren Flutie and Milt Stiegel. His flex players are Dwayne Ford, Chris Zarka. His final pick, the Rough Riders from 1959. I don't get that for defense. I'm not so sure how he got all that in under the salary cap. We might have to check his math. I'm. Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No. Oh, these picks sound really suspicious. I'll bet anything that that was Rayner that called in. Oh, that guy. Let me... I'll take a few seconds here. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Okay, I think I've got a hold of the real Pat, and these are his picks. Quarterback, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, Toronto. Running back, he's going with James Wilder Jr. 
uh, receiver, Kamar Jordan. Kyron Moore from Saskatchewan. Kadeem Carey from Calgary as his one flex. Uh, Devaris Daniels, and he's picking the Stampeders defense. Uh, I am going Calgary to beat BC, Winnipeg to beat Toronto. Montreal comes into Edmonton, knocks them out, and the Riders beat Hamilton. Hey, I'm taking Calgary over BC on Thursday. I'm taking Winnipeg over Toronto Friday, Montreal over Edmonton Saturday, and Hamilton over Saskatchewan on Saturday night late game. Pat is going pick the Argos over the Blue Bombers, <laughs> Stamps over the Lions, Alouettes over the Elks, Ticats over the Riders. Well, and a shout out to Gromit1996 and Dini13, who are leading our pick'em pool. Uh, they both have seven points. Gromit did get three out of four games correct in week one. So those are the ones with the target on their back that I'm coming for. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.